You are listening to the Venture Scale SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they built their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey, folks, with us today, Carlos from DrumCV. Carlos, super happy to have you on. Thank you for, uh, for inviting me. Thank you. Let's start with the most important thing. What problem does DrumCV solve for its customers? So DrumCV is a platform that helps connect product and support teams. We found that product teams suffer from knowing exactly what are the customer's top issues. And support typically takes a lot of notes, but it's very hard for them to summarize and synthesize that data and provide that over to product teams to solve root cause issues that cause customers to churn and to be less satisfied with the product. Interesting. And then you started roughly two years ago in, in 2021. How did you initially stumble upon the problem? I was working at a company, it was a Y Combinator company, uh, Weave Communications, and they were preparing to go IPO. And I was invited to join uh, to lead data and data science. And so I worked on that problem for some time and reported to the chief technology officer and the chief product officer. And about a year in, they said, hey, we have this problem with product and support. There are a lot of tickets. Customers were calling in many times every single month. And they said, this just isn't acceptable. And even though the company had had very good numbers on its churn and retention, um, we, they had really wanted the customer to have a better experience. And so I worked on that problem and over six months, I did two things that reduced the tickets by 30% and improved, uh, to all time lows, the customer churn, um, you know, just two things uh, that I, I worked on that, that solved this problem. And it was that product teams needed better data. They needed more descriptive data. They needed deduplicated data because they didn't have a lot of time. They would have plenty on their roadmaps. They had no time to really dig into data and they couldn't do it continually. And so by creating better labeling that was very descriptive instead of ambiguous. And when I say ambiguous, imagine somebody in product team getting um, a issue that was 10% of all the issues that was labeled billing. That's not very easy. That's not very good. It yeah. doesn't help a product manager to do anything about that. And so instead of saying billing, we helped the product managers over billing receive a descriptive label that said unable to process credit card as the top issue. And that was 2% of tickets. And Pareto works very well in this problem. It's a beautiful statistical problem to solve because oftentimes the 80-20 rule really works well. And we found that just in six projects, we were able to reduce those 30% of tickets. And we found since releasing our product that this is true for most organizations. That's crazy. Then now two years later, how, how many customers do you have that are using that product roughly? We're still in beta. We, we have been uh, really exposed in this environment of B2B. And that has been a very hard challenge for us. And I know many other companies. And so we're still refining our product, trying to find product market fit. One of the things that we have discovered is that buying committees are very challenging right now in this environment. 
um, especially for a startup that is in pre-seed stage. But we also have found that um, customer support and customer experience isn't as important to people as we thought it was. And so we're making some shifts in our product right now, um, listening to our beta customers and, and refining, pivoting. But we are very excited about the technology that we've created, which is taking long-form text. And if you think of um, ChatGPT, many people are familiar with the prompts that they're getting back from ChatGPT. If you ask it to summarize in eight words or less a problem from ticket notes, it will do a good job in creating a summary. The problem is, is it's different every time. And it's not normalized without commas and without too much information. And so we've really perfected long form summarization to sh or long form to short form summarization. Interesting. Then coming to the beginning of what you said, that buying behavior is quite different right now. What's the most annoying is maybe the wrong word, but what's the part where you feel like there's the most friction? Just that people don't invest in anything that's not like super correlated to, to direct revenue, even though churn is very important for revenue? Or like, where, where do you see the friction on the sell, selling side of things? So we thought going into, you know, coming out of COVID, we thought that, gee, companies will be focused on reducing operating expenditure. And we were right, just like you would expect. The problem is that that translated into headcount uh, reductions. Um, CFOs are very wise. They understand that software to just improve operations takes time to implement and it is not guaranteed. And so the only thing that matters to CFOs we found is that they actually get a hard line reduction by just headcount. And so that's what we've seen in tech companies across the world is they just reduce headcount. We've also found that operating software has not passed through the, um, you know, that gauntlet as we thought it would. And a lot of the concerns and investment have still gone into trying to fuel growth. So maybe it's not AEs, um, you know, increased AEs, it's trying to invest in the, that productivity, trying to figure out new ways to reach customers through marketing, different marketing channels. A lot of things aren't working like they did before, as we know. And that has been counterintuitive to us because many of the discussions leading up to this time have been, oh, user experience is so important. Oh, yeah. we believe in UX. We believe in UI. And you saw a lot of investment going into COVID around this and a lot of um, discussions, a lot of companies popping up. So we thought we'd ride that, ride that wave. The problem is most people don't really care about UX. They, they, they do if it fuels growth, but they don't care about as much in churn right now. And that has been an eye-opening experience. It was an assumption that we made. It was an assumption that was wrong. And so I think the biggest friction right now is the fact that um, a lot of what we focused on, now we have lots of different applications, um, which I can speak to, but I think that the biggest friction for sure has been that we have found operational efficiencies um, for a small player like us to be very challenging to sell. And we found that other folks that are competitors, um, other startups are having that same issue. If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, then React Squad is for you. A boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast growth startups. 
Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. On the nitty gritty, how do you navigate your company right now where you say openly, okay, the, the assumption was wrong, at least in the current ecosystem or in the current environment. So how, how does a founder navigate that? It's tough because in this environment with funding, it's not easy to make big pivots and we made a big bet. And so our big pivot right now is trying to find a tech acquirer, um, a acquisition target with a sales team, a marketing team that's sufficiently big um, because we don't have the ability and we're just looking ourselves in the mirror saying, what are we? We're a pre-seed company that is at that stage where we have technology that we've built that we uh, really believe in and we found value. Uh, customers have, you know, these beta customers have found the exact same value that I talked about that we uh, did um, at Weave. And, and so I look at that and I say, great, at least we've proven that technology actually works. Um, and so what is the next gap? It's sales and marketing getting through this storm. We don't have the same type of investment opportunity that we did before. And so the most logical in our mind uh, play is being able to partner with someone that has the capabilities that we don't have as the investment, if you will, and trying to get this out to the world. So our next move is certainly finding partners that can utilize the technology, utilize what we've built, pivot as necessary, but leverage existing um, competencies in sales marketing and creating a growth story instead of an operational excellent story right now. Interesting. So. If I understood correctly, your strategy right now is basically to to merge or get acquired, like or sell a majority stake to a company that has the the oomph in terms of like sales and marketing that you need right now to penetrate like bigger enterprises. That's right, and that's just more of a logical, rational path for us. I think that many companies are in the same situation, so either they're facing, um, you know capital issues and they're facing existential crises. Um, and so, you know, or either that or they're not growing fast enough. And we were meeting with uh, plenty of investors to talk about these different paths. And they said, look, even if you have 50% metrics that you need to have right now, you're still not getting investment. And so the reality for many SaaS companies right now at the pre-seed stage is that they should be evaluating like us, partnerships with folks that have that, that can carry it if they want to see that technology actually reach the masses. Yeah. Moving away from the, the rational part, how, how does that feel? Because it sounds like a good strategy, but I can imagine that it's not as easy on the emotional part as, as it might look. It's the worst. It's the worst because you see all of these stories as a founder of those that succeed and you bu bucket yourself. There's this temptation to bucket yourself in the failure category. And you go and question a lot of your decisions, um, your pivots that you've made. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, like I, the environment is the environment. And so if you try to do the same things that you've always done, if you try to fit the model into what's happened over the last 15 years, then you're also pretty irrational. So things are different. Investment isn't there. And so I think that uh, after a couple months of just realizing, look, this is the situation around us and let's now try to optimize for the equation of success, whatever that looks like. And it's not the same definition of success from three years ago. Then things became a lot clearer. 
And it's trying to figure out what the mission was at the beginning of this was how do we solve this pain instead of how do we get the next round of investment and the next round of investment, which I think a lot of SaaS companies fall into the trap. And as founders, you look around and you see other founders getting these investment rounds and you say, wow, they're successful. But really what success is, is solving the pain. And that's why you embark on the journey. And so I think it's reframing right now and it's important to reframe what is success. And certainly it's not the same definition of success before. And so that's really what we're doing. Is there anything specific you did to come to that? Or was it just like, in a way, grinding on it for, for, for weeks and weeks until you settled on that realization? Yeah. In hindsight, you say, wow, I wish I would have made that decision faster. You know, and I think a lot of product market fit, if there's one thing that I feel like I've failed the most in so far, is the one thing that Precede has to do. So the, the one thing that a CEO of Precede company has to do really well which is ask the right questions to establish product market fit. And so what we did is we anchored to what the market was and what it was telling us, which was, yes, we have this pain. Every single person, the ESPNs, the Ubers, the Intels, all of these companies said, we have this pain. And so we thought, let's build it. Surely we can sell this. Everybody's telling us that we can sell this to them. And, um, you know, we built the product, the market had shifted. And what we found is that we asked the wrong question. We should have asked Will you pay for it now? And when we complete it, will you, uh, will you, you know, are we good? And we didn't do that. And that's why see, uh, that that's their logic too. We didn't listen to that. And I, and I look at that failure and I think, gee, I would never do that again. Um, and I've created a little bit of a parable from this, which is if you're a man who lives in the, uh, near the desert and you have dirty water that you're been, you've been collecting, you go to the desert and you sell it. And every now and then you have this weary traveler that is about to die, just so thirsty and says, I'll give you anything for just that water. And that's a wise man because he's become a very rich man. And so that's one case. And then there's the other man who's now selling very clean, pristine, distinguishable water in the town center. And he's yelling and shouting at people all day long saying, hey, buy my water. And every now and then he, he sells the water. And that's a foolish man because he never raised the next round of investment, right? So it's like, to me, I look at this and I, I wish that we would have sold dirty water in the desert. It didn't matter how good or bad the solution was. The pain was so big. And the way to validate, now I know, which the way to validate is by saying, if we build it, will you pay us now? And then we'll refund you if, if, uh, if we can't build it. And that establishes true pain. So is that what you would do for every next company that imagine you would start a next one you would you start like that or do you say it dep still depends a bit on the situation and the problem i think it's all about the pain the faster you validate the pain and the way that you validate the pain is by money the only way that yep. you can validate and i'm convinced of that now it's the only way otherwise people tell you what they want to hear they're going to validate the things but you'll never get and i'm a, i'm an economist by training You will never get true behavioral validation if you don't get a dollar for the commitment. And so absolutely, the way that we'd solve this problem going forward is, and I, we've talked through pivots and found that there are, company, there are companies that are willing to pay for specific problems for you to build it. And so that's absolutely right. I only focus on those in which there is a firm commitment where money is transacted 
And there's a promise of refund in a contract that says, if we don't build it by this date, you'll get your money back. It's the truest form of validation. Absolutely. And then I would love to get to what you're up to right now, meaning looking to merge and end up partner with another company. I bet there's people listening out there who are in the same situation. Either they realize that they need to do it and are still hesitant or they're like, are right in it. How do you technically go about doing that? And I think it's a very hard thing because like, in a way, selling companies like a once in a lifetime thing compared to like selling a product. So walk us through, through that. We don't know how to do it yet, right? And so I'm, yeah. I'm admitting my vulnerability. <laughs> yeah. So for anybody that's listening, take this with a grain of salt. But our strategy right now is to orient all of the use cases in which our technology actually fits. One example is e-commerce. If you search, for example, on Amazon and say outlet, you know, power strips under $20, you'll get power strips and you'll get some that are under $20. But what you'll notice is on the left-hand side of that search, you know, in the Amazon uh, checkboxes, none of them are checked because it's not persistent search. Why not? And so our technology actually solves this problem. So what we did, we built uh, a browser extension that utilizes what we, what we built. And it uses NLP to recognize, oh, under $20, that means that 10 through $20 should be checked. And under $10 should be checked. Because when you're searching power strips under $20, gee, shouldn't the search be persistent? Um, yeah. And so we've solved that problem. And so we can help e-commerce companies, for example. Um, certainly, we can help private equity companies that have operational deficiencies and they want to help 30 50, 100 companies that have the same problem and they are in the game for operational efficiencies. And so these are just two examples of how we can orient our technology away from just the strict B2B uh, typical scenario. And so that's what we're doing. So we've packaged some of our tangential parallel technology that can be modified slightly and um, provide companies with that type of benefit. And written that up in a on one page or setting up meetings to talk to as many folks as possible. So it's similar to sales strategy, but now for the company and trying to think through what are the 90% of the way there uh, solutions that can be easily implemented, uh, embedded, certainly sharing what um, stack we built upon so that there can be ease of um, adoption. So we're mindful of those types of things. The fact that we're a small team, just two, it makes it pretty easy at that point to say, hey, there's different configurations of this deal. And so we're trying to think through on the other end, what would be the concerns? How would we communicate? What are the easy uh, wins so that they can um, you know, receive by uh, partnering with us? And so that's how we're approaching it. I mean, it sounds a lot like positioning a product in a way finding the use cases, finding back to finding the pains, even though they're getting the commitment is of course, like behind a lot of negotiation and, and due diligence. And then as the final question is usually what's your long-term plan with in a way your professional career and the company, but right now. I would love to know how long-term do you plan that situation? Because I'm catching myself, the longer I'm an entrepreneur, in a way, the shorter 
my planning cycles become. So we're internally planning for like three months. We have a huge, like very long, very, very long, so like 30 year vision in a way. But the planning cycles are like three months, basically. How do you do that right now? Because in a way, you are very time constrained. So how does one plan for the future right now? For the company, it's impossible. I think that for us, it is a very short term uh, mindset based on what the needs of the market are. And so if there's a tech, a tech acquisition where just the tech gets sent over to handoff, we're prepared to do that. We're prepared to uh, do aqua hire. We're prepared to, you know, there's many different options on the table. And part of that is because of the passion to see the problem solved. I go back to that. And I think you see those who really care about the problem. Yeah. I mean, we, we cared about the problem so much. We've We've cared about it. We've cared about customers on the other end. Every time I get on a customer support call, I think, ah, oh, this is horrible. And these are with the best companies of the world, right? Like Apple was on with tier one, tier two, tier three for something that I knew was a problem in their data um, as a data expert. And I even told them in tier one, this is your problem. Get the engineering team on the phone, fix this one cell. And by the time 10 hours had passed and I talked to the tier three engineer, finally, they said, you were right. And so you're just like, okay, why does this happen? And so I think because we're so passionate about this problem, it almost doesn't matter um, as long as we're able to kind of see the problem that, you know, this is the problem solver mentality. It's like, as long as that problem can be solved, the world will be better. But I think that for me personally, on a professional basis, I, you know, I've learned a tremendous amount about product market fit. At the same time, I think that there's a lot of interest for me to become the best of the best at product market fit. And part of that is just the insanity that it's caused uh, in some ways by not being able to achieve that yet. And so a lot of, I think my future, if you will, will be focusing on AI product market fit and understanding how to apply the lessons that I've just shared, um, but also the things that have worked in you know creating a better process and then implementing what we have learned, which is how to incrementally benefit a uh, company through AI um, implementation. And so a lot of, I think my focus will be on product AI, um, focusing on customer facing AI. Um, we've learned how to very well build out roadmaps that make ROI sense, if you will, instead of what a lot of companies are doing is pie in the sky AI um, moonshots, which is a bad strategy. And so what we have learned is how to perfect the art of incremental AI adoption an improvement in existing product market fit product, uh, products. And we found that to be actually very successful. And so that's, I think, the next stage for me. I mean, it definitely sounds like it won't be your last rodeo. Hopefully not. I mean, I'm getting gray hair, but I'm still not that old. So <laughs> I, you know, I, I think there's uh, plenty of rodeos that I have to be on. So it's good. Amazing. Carlos, thanks a ton for coming on today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. If you like this episode, then you'll love the SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node, with actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit earlynode.com to subscribe.